Good morning. Our scripture reading today is found in John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. And if you'd care to follow along in the blue pew Bibles there, it is found on page 762. And this is Jesus speaking. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. We continue in our series entitled Passionate Jesus, Learning from His Emotions. And as you already know, we talked this morning about fear. So appreciated Craig's words about fear, not just of public speaking or in my case, singing with a choir, but also the story of his sister. You can think immediately of something that causes fear in you. I read recently about soldiers in Iraq and in the Middle East who report fear of a huge spider called a camel spider. Anybody heard of the camel spider? Huge spider, 8 to 12 inches in length, and speedy and aggressive. And many soldiers report having been chased by one. And the reason is they're not trying to attack the soldiers, they're trying to stay in the shade. Uh, These camel spiders are nocturnal and they abhor light. So if something disturbs them and they come out into the strong sunlight, it'll seek the nearest shade. And oftentimes it's a soldier's shadow. So if the soldier begins to run, the spider chases after him, hoping to find some shade. Well, we can all identify with the feeling of running from our fears only to find that sometimes it seems that they can catch up with us. So how do we deal with fear? We're going to deal with this in three parts this morning, dealing primarily with what Jesus has to teach us about being fearless. Maybe not completely fearless, but to fear less. We must acknowledge the fact that we are depraved, broken beings. Will we ever be completely fear-free? Of course not. We cannot be fully fear-free, but we can fear less, significantly less. And first of all, it's the fear of God that makes us fear less. Did you know that in the Bible, God or a messenger of God says, do not be afraid, 366 times. 
366 times in Scripture, someone says, either God or a messenger of God, do not be afraid. That's one invitation not to fear for each day of the year. Think of that. Now, what does this tell us? What does this tell us that God says this so often in his word? Well, first of all, God knows that we all have fears. You might be thinking of one right now, but secondly, he's trying to assure us Assure us that he is so much bigger, greater, more powerful, more overwhelming than any of these fears that we might have. And because of this, we need to redirect our fears of persons or things or events to the fear of God. To the fear of God. And in the Bible, the fear of God is a gift. One of the best known passages about that, Psalm 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. It's a fear that has to do with reverence and awe. It's not a fear that causes us to shrink from God, but it draws us to God, draws us nearer to God, and it fills us with love and awe at his majesty, his sovereignty. There's the sense of reverence for his holiness. And just the fact that you and I have this incredible, miraculous gift of being a part of that majestic story, that sovereign story that is so much bigger than ourselves. And that's a key to managing fear. I like the way theologian Scott Bader say, says it. He says, we cannot command ourselves to feel less fear. Quite the contrary, our overwhelming fears need to be themselves overwhelmed by bigger and better things, by a sense of adventure and fullness of life that comes from locating our fears and vulnerability within a larger story that is ultimately triumphant and not tragic. He's talking about God's story. What he's saying is we can overwhelm our fear with the bigger and better things by fearing God, who is so overwhelmingly bigger than anything that we might fear. So much more powerful than anything that we might ever fear. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear God. Now let's, let's back up just a little bit and get the fuller context of that passage where Jesus says that. Jesus is about to send his disciples out on a mission trip, basically. That's what he's doing. And he lets them know that it's not going to be easy. Verse 16, he says, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as what? Doves. What he's saying is you're going to be hated, persecuted, betrayed, physically scarred. You might even be killed. But then verse 26, he says, have no fear of them. Fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. And in context, he's saying, fear the one who can kill the bodies and the souls of the ones who are trying to fight against your mission, who are persecuting you. And then he shifts very suddenly to a a more benign, a a more quiet, softer image. Verses 29 and 30, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It's interesting how it goes from this God who will fight for you, who has the power to kill, and yet also the one who will take care of the sparrows and who knows every hair on your head. Jesus is saying, fear the one who loves you so much and who is so beyond any other force in the world. Focus on him and how overwhelmingly transcendent He is beyond all these other matters. Jesus himself had this fear of God, this utter trust in his holiness, his greatness, his sovereignty. He knew how 
overwhelmingly larger his father was than any force on the earth. And you see it by how fearless he is in dealing with such frightening people. You think of the Gerardine demoniac who lived among the tombs and cut himself. Scripture says no one had strength to subdue this man. Yet Jesus stood eye to eye with him. First time he sees him, stands eye to eye with him, confronts him, drives out the demonic issues that he has. You see how fearless Jesus is when he's in that horrendous storm on the Sea of Galilee. And he's back there sleeping with his head on a pillow. And the disciples turn and say, don't you care? And Jesus calmly wakes up and calmly stills the storm. And then he looks at them and says, "What? why were you afraid? Have you no faith? What's Jesus saying there? Don't you see how much bigger my father and I are? Stop wasting your time fearing other things and fear us. Recognize our holiness, our majesty, our overwhelming power over all things in this world. One of the bigger and better things we can focus on is our mission in serving Christ. Not letting ourselves be overcome by our fears. You remember in Matthew 17 with the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus to a mountain and Jesus is transfigured. He appears suddenly in a dazzling light and along comes Elijah and Moses. And then in a moment, a cloud, it says, passes over the three disciples. And they hear this voice saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And verse 6 says, they were overcome by fear. Have you ever been just overcome by fear? Paralyzed by fear? Immobilized by fear? And they fall prostrate on the ground. And notice immediately what Jesus does. He walks over to them. Well, it says, he walked over to them and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And they stand up, and at that moment, they are not afraid. Well, when you and I are fearful, Jesus comes to us, and he says, get up and don't be afraid. Get up and don't be afraid. And we can do this when we realize how far beyond this earth Jesus actually is. And I wonder if he's saying that to you this morning, you know, there's something that you can think of right now in your mind, and you even have this visceral reaction somewhere here, something that causes you fear. Maybe it's a fear that you've dealt with for a long time, or it's a fear that really can make you feel paralyzed or overwhelmed. All of us have fears that we deal with. I'm sure you're dealing with one now in your life, and it might be keeping you from doing something significant, perhaps even significant for him in his kingdom. And maybe Jesus is telling you to get up. And do not be afraid. We have provided for you in your bulletin this morning some prayers that have been written and prayed in times past that apply to us today. This first prayer um, kind of speaks to what is to come. Oftentimes we have fear of the unknown. Fear of what happens to us uh, down the road. Maybe fear of what happens to us when we die speaks to that. Let's stand and we will read it together. And we will read it like it's our prayer to God. We will read corporately together. This first prayer that we pray together is entitled, Whether I Fly with Angels. Let's read it together. Whether I fly with angels, fall with dust, thy hands made both, and I am there. Thy power and love, my love and trust, Make one place everywhere. The fear of God, then, makes us fearless. 
But the sacrifice of God makes us fearless as well. And I want us to lock into this one because this is some profound truth here. You could say the sacrifice of God makes us fearless, or you could say the suffering of God makes us fearless. We've talked before about the meaning and the significance of the temptation account when the tempter comes along, the deceiver comes along, and tries to tempt Jesus. This is when Jesus is beginning his ministry, beginning that three-year ministry. He knows where it's going to take him. He knows the injustice and the suffering and the pain he is going to face. So what does his Achilles heal at that moment, and what does Satan try to do? Tempt him to circumvent all that suffering. We've talked about that before. Jesus, ultimately, if you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. You can be the earthly political Messiah that they want you to be, and you won't have to suffer. But Jesus, because of us, doesn't take the easy way. He sacrificed the easy way for you and me. He did not have to go through the pain, but he did. And listen to me here. He did not have to feel fear. But for us, he did. That's profound when you think about that. I love the way Jürgen Moltmann puts it, the great German theologian in his monumental book, The Crucified God. He talks in there about the pathos of God as opposed to the apathos of God, the apathy of God. And he drives home the fact that when God entered into covenant with us in this world, he entered into it full throttle. He joined us fully, without any apathy, without any distance from us whatsoever, not avoiding any unfeeling, if you will. He chose to suffer as we suffer and to feel as we feel, and that includes fear. And in doing this, he assures us that he understands our own fears. Now, I know you can lock into that. He he empathizes with your fears, but he takes it a step further. There's something else significant. He goes through this fear, and in doing so, he glorifies his father. This is what Lorna read just a moment ago from John 12. He's speaking to his disciples, and Jesus knows that he has a brutal week ahead of him, Passion Week. And he feels it. And he says in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That's what Satan was trying to get him to do too. Father, save me from this hour? Let this cup pass from me? And he goes on and says, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. He knew his calling. He knew his mission, and it was for you and for me. Jesus is troubled, but he knows that this mission is for you and for me. Then immediately he issues this request to his father. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is going through this fearful time for our sake and to glorify his Father in heaven. And a voice comes from heaven immediately to Jesus. And God the Father says to him, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So keep this in mind. Jesus feels fear at that moment for you and for me to relate with us and to face suffering for us fully. But he also does it to bring glory to his Father Now, was that self-serving? No, absolutely not. It was pointing the world to him. It's pointing you and me to him. By this incredible miracle of Jesus coming into the world and entering our world full throttle, identifying with us and suffering with with us, and yes, even feeling fear with us. It glorifies God in a profound way that draws us to him, continues to draw people out in the world who don't even know about him to him. He felt fear for you. He feels your pain for you. 
Writer Jim Wright chronicled his faith struggles while his son Ryan was going through a lot of childhood illnesses. And let me just read this account. Jim White recounts, he says, In the first 15 years of his life, our son Ryan had over 30 surgeries. When he was about eight years old, he was in the hospital for yet another surgery. The medical staff had already given him the Barney juice, a purple liquid with something like morphine in it. The medical staff then began to roll his surgical bed to the operating room. As usual, we accompanied him to the two big doors that led to the place of surgery. That is where we stopped and told him it would all be okay for the last time before surgery. This day, as we got to the doors and they opened, he sat up in the bed, looked me in the eyes, and pleaded, Dad, don't let them take me. At that moment, my heart was broken. I would have done anything to take him off that bed except for the fact that he had to have the surgery. That knowledge didn't ease the pain in my heart at all. I just stood there trembling as the doors closed and he disappeared. That is when I broke down into tears. Shortly after, when I was asking God how much, how such a good love could hurt so much, I realized that he had gone through the same thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Translated into the language of a child, he was saying, Daddy, don't let them take me. But I allowed the surgeons to take my son for his own good. And God allowed the crucifiers to take his son for our good. That is how much God loves us. And he closes by saying, it has been said that something is worth what someone else is willing to pay. Christ's willingness to give his life shows the value he placed on me. And let me add this, Christ's feeling fear for us is how willing he was to meet us where we are in our fears. He did this out of love for us to identify with us, to empathize with us, and yes, to give glory to his Father and draw other people to him. And ultimately, thanks be to God, our fears are crucified with him. Will you stand once again as we read together the next prayer? Lift me, Lord. Let's read this prayer together. Lift me, Lord, out of fear into hope, out of frailty into strength, out of foolishness into sense. Lift me, Lord. You came down to lift us. You descended to hell to lift us to heaven. You entered death to raise us to life. Come, Lord, raise me up, I pray you. The fear of God makes us fearless. The sacrifice, suffering of God, makes us fearless. And finally, the presence of God makes us fearless. Have you ever heard of a six-word memoir? There's actually a website for this. It's kind of a popular thing where you try to reduce, in spoken fashion, the story of your life and tell it in only six words, your six-word memoir. Two weeks ago, I had the pleasure and honor of going to hear Wes Moore speak uh, for the Tom and Marla Quartz speaking series over at Sanford. And it was just wonderful, this, an amazing book if you haven't read The Other Wes Moore. It's about this young man who grows up in uh, inner city, Brooklyn, 
And, uh, you know, he faces all these challenges that you would face, all these forces you would face, some of them fearful that, that you would face in the inner city. And yet he winds up doing amazing things. He goes to military school. He becomes a Rhodes Scholar. He winds up being an aide to Condoleezza Rice, on and on, just an amazing fellow. And then he writes this incredible book. It's entitled The Other Westmore because there was another Westmore that he discovered just down the street who wound up going in the other direction, who is to this day incarcerated for murder. And they befriend each other and try to hammer out how this came along and how their lives uh, were different and, and what, were the, what were the influences that led each of them down their particular paths. It's a wonderful book, and I decided to read an interview that appeared uh, in the edition of the book that I had. There was a little interview of Westmore back there in the back. Uh, the one who wrote the book had gone through all these successful uh, events in his life. And the very last question that the interviewer asked him was, what is your six-word memoir? Okay, reducing your life story, your life's truth to six words. They said, what is your six-word memoir, Westmore? And he said this, Grandma said, have faith, not fear. I love that. Grandma said, have faith, not fear. And if you read the book, you realize Wes's grandma lived that way. How did she do so? Did following Jesus shelter her from the pains and hardships of this world? Of course not. But she knew that though he didn't shelter her, he was nevertheless with her. He was nevertheless with her. And sometimes we fail to grasp that. She knew that. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that no matter what happened, his father was with him when he was on earth. In Gethsemane, Jesus says to his disciples, what, sit here while I pray. And he asked Peter and James and John again to come along. And it says, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. And then he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. There's some fear there. And he said, stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Even after everyone else deserted him, Jesus knew his father, Abba, was with him. And he was with him through the cross and the tomb. And yes, after the resurrection. And then the greatest of news that we will celebrate in a few weeks, Easter Sunday. And then what's funny is everything turns because Jesus is trying to calm everybody else down. Because the first thing when people see him, they are, to use words as you see in scripture, they're startled or afraid or terrified. Because it's Jesus in his risen state, and they just don't understand it fully. So Jesus has to turn to them and assure them, do not be afraid, it's me. Now go and tell others. And he's present with us now as we go out on mission. <laughs> do we really grasp that? You know, as we talked about in Romans chapter 8, Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came in a profound way at Pentecost, as you know. Jesus promised that. If you go to John 14, he said, you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. He's talking about the Spirit. And this is a reality that our fear can prevent us from grasping sometimes. Following Christ doesn't shelter us from the pain and struggles of the world. You know, we know that one day we will have the eternal surpassing peace of heaven, and that's great, which will be freedom from pain and illness and hardship and uncertainty. But he's with us now as well. When was the last time you actually grasped that reality that he's with you now? You know, he didn't immediately still that storm at sea, but in his time, he did. He stilled it, and there was peace. 
It's a matter of realizing that, that even in the midst of the storm, and you don't quite understand and you don't know where things are going, remember that he's in the boat with you, always present. Even in our most fearful of moments, in fact, especially in our most fearful of moments, he is there. And we best capitalize on his presence. Don't, don't just lean on, you know, one day all this will be better. No, trust that he's there right now and capitalize on his presence. <laughs> A good example of capitalizing on his presence I read about in 2011. Um, in fact, I saw the woman interviewed later on. Uh, while staying in her convent, there was an 85-year-old Catholic nun who got trapped inside an elevator, broken elevator. She was in there for four nights and three days. And she tried pushing the inside elevator door, but the electricity went off. She had a cell phone, but there was no power, no signal. And fortunately, she had a jar of water, some celery, and two cough drops. And there she was in the elevator, and she was there for four nights and three days. And later on, CNN interviewed her, and it was great. She said, at first I said to myself, this can't happen. But then I decided to turn my elevator into a personal prayer retreat. Could you do that? It, she said, it was either panic or pray. And she started viewing the experience as a gift. She said, it was a gift for me. I really believe God's presence was my strength and my joy. Really, I felt God's presence almost immediately. I felt like he provided the opportunity for me to have a closer relationship. Now, I don't know if I could pull that off in a broken elevator. She certainly did. But it reminds me that when we face fearful circumstances, God wants us to capitalize on his presence that is there right now. Right now. He gets us through those present fears and helps us work toward those future purposes and see those future purposes. We talked about that recently with Romans chapter 8. Sometimes we don't see an immediate reason for something that's going on, even if it's a fearful situation. We don't see the reason. But we can begin to see God working his purposes for the future through that present situation. And when we can just calm down and ease our fears and let him help us ease our fears, we can begin to see at a faster pace the purposes that he's working through that situation. Now, what enables us to do that? It's, it's that Christ is with us in the presence of the Spirit. And that begs the question for you and me today as we face difficulty. Do you know that he's there with you? Do you know that he's present? And do you trust that he's with you, working out his purposes in a situation? Do we really grasp that phrase that we hear so often at funerals, and yet it applies to us today? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art, what? With me. He's with you. And that's his promise to us as the Brookwood tribe as we continue to fulfill his great commission for us. How does he end the great commission in Matthew 24? Remember, go therefore and make disciples, teach them, baptize them, all that. But what is the last word of assurance he says right at the very end of Matthew? And lo, I am, what does it say? Somebody help me. I am with you always, even until the end of the age, even until the end of all things. I'm with you now. Do you realize that he's with you now? Think of that fear that can just bubble up inside you. He's here with you now. What might he be saying to you? Well, let's, let's practice the spiritual discipline of meditation for just a moment. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to do this. Imagine your life without the fear that can strangle and weaken you, can paralyze you. And imagine letting yourself being empowered by the courage that comes from trusting that Jesus is there with you right now. 
And no matter what you're facing, he's with you now. Because if that really were your reality, what might you be doing differently today? What fears could you lay aside for the sake of doing greater things for him? So at this moment, ask God to shine the light of his love onto the dark, fearful areas inside of you. Do that, and you'll find that you can't wait to see where he's going to take you next. Oh God, in this moment, we lift up all of ourselves to you, including our fears. Help us to trust indeed that you are here with us, that you feel with us, and that you went through the feeling of fear yourself to identify with us and yet to point us down that pathway toward, yes, the pain, but beyond it to the cross and then to the tomb, but beyond that to the resurrection. And yes, indeed, oh God, that awaits us one day, but help us to trust and fear you. Fear you in the way that we are just in awe of your goodness, of your greatness, of your overwhelming presence, of your overwhelming power. And may we trust that you are with us here even now by the presence of the Spirit in our lives. And because of that, ultimately we have no reason to fear or despair. Thank you that we have the church where we can lean on one another, but ultimately, oh God, thank you that we can lean on your everlasting arms. And as we sing that in a moment, help us to mean it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we go into this song of response, this hymn of response, let's read this final prayer together. It's entitled, Jesus, Where Are You Taking Me? Let's, let's speak it together. Jesus, where are you taking me? Into joy, into pain? I am afraid, but to do anything other than go with you would be to die inwardly. And to look for wholeness apart from you would be to lose my true self. So I come to you, protesting and confused, but loving you all the same. You will have to hold on to me as we walk together through this compelling and frightening landscape of the kingdom of God.